From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Welcome to Needle Exchange, conversations on the art of thread. everybody welcome to needle exchange conversations on the art of thread my name is mr x stitch and on today's episode i'm interviewing kath james the artist formerly known as crack and creations kath has a fantastic skill set in which she creates anatomical hand embroideries dissections of humans detailed shots that really make you marvel at the magnificence of how we are made Kat's a fantastic person. She's been through an awful lot. Her journey's amazing and it's been great to talk to her at this point when she's starting to put her name out there as a legit artist. She's an award-winning artist. She's been celebrated by the Society for Medical Illustration and she's just a great person. It's a great interview. We talk all around the houses. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. If you like the show, please do leave us a review on your favourite podcasting platform. If you want to see more of Kat's work, you can see her on Instagram, links in the show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the Needle Exchange newsletter so you can catch up with all the gossip from my world as Mr. X-Stitch and everything that I get up to. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for being here. See you soon. Um, so it's interesting for you then, because I wanted to ask you, I've got lots of questions, I've done a bit of research, but I wanted to ask you how you're adapting to being Kath Jane's, Kath Jane's artist. So far, great. It feels brilliant now. The process leading up to that decision, and that, that was really brutal. That was kind of staring the imposter syndrome in the face, mm-hmm, which wasn't mm-hmm. pretty. And I, I'm not saying I don't have imposter syndrome now. I absolutely do. You know, when you asked me to do this interview, I had a good couple of hours of, what do you want? Why do you want to talk to me? Why me? Why not somebody else? You know, so many good artists. Sounds like shit. So I still go through that. But I'm better able to kind of talk myself down off it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the run-up to that was really brutal because it made me kind of think about what not what I wanted. I knew what I wanted, but how to, not just how to get there, but... Was I worth getting there? God, that sounds very deep and dark, doesn't it? No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Do you think? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it was a. Sorry, I'm not making much sense there. No, do like you I think say, you had to that stare because the you spent... in the face. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And the monster was like Kraken. And the thing is, you started out with an alter ego. And I'm someone who has an alter ego. You know, there's a difference between Mr. X-Stitch and Jamie Chalmers. 
And that can be useful because Mr. Exich, I can like turn up the volume a bit and talk a bit more like this, you know, and be this guy. (laughs) And I'm not really that guy. But that's I think sometimes it provides a shield. And what you've done is you've established yourself as somebody who's an admirable, dare we say, award winning artist. And now you're having to like peel away the armor that Kraken Creations gave you and just be like, here I am, warts and all. Yeah, and it's scary to do that. You know, I always distinguish between two types of fear. There's one where you're right to be scared because there's a man coming at you with a knife. And there's one where you just need to buckle in, face it, and push through it. And it was that with in terms of becoming an artist. The previous incarnation, the crack and creations thing, that was never really fully thought thought fully thought through. That was all kind of pissed together as I was recovering from a breakdown. And it was never never fitted me brilliantly. But now that I see myself more as an anatomical artist, I could see it just didn't fit me at all. And in fact, it was kind of constraining me in terms of what I want to do and where I want to go. So I knew I had to kind of break out of it. And I guess, you know, I always describe these things to myself like childbirth. You know, it's a lot of shit and blood and guts and pain. But when you count the other side, you've got something good to show for it. And so I kind of um, I kind of equated moving to my name as, you know, pushing a giant melon out of my fanny, essentially. Mentally, it Brilliant. was. I think <laughs> a lot of people can equate to that, particularly the male listeners. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 but it's true. It's true. And I mean, I wonder whether, do you think... You, you came to a point where this is a naturally occurring transition because, you know, if you'd have decided early on that Kraken Creations wasn't a good fit, say, three years ago, mm. do you think you would have had the nerve to do it then or do you feel like you've got a surety in yourself now? Yeah, I have, absolutely. I've always loved doing my um, anatomical embroidery and it was always a bit of a an aside to everything else that I did. And as the few, last few years have gone on, I've really developed my self-belief in it. I absolutely believe in it. I've got imposter syndrome in virtually everything else, except my ability to stitch anatomy. I feel like my feet are absolutely on the ground with that. And that wasn't there three years ago. And it's really interesting that last year I had, um, one of my reels on Instagram went viral. I got nearly 2 million Mm. views. And that was a really love-hate experience. And there were lots of things... I absolutely hated about it. I didn't realize I climbed the wrong mountain until I was on top of the mountain and looking back. (laughs) Equally, there were lots of really positive experiences, of course. And one of those was I had back-to-back commissions for a year, almost uh, every week to two weeks, there was a new commission. And that really forced me to be so immersed in anatomical embroidery that any doubts I had previously had gone. I just learned and I was challenged and I stitched them away. So, yeah, I'm in a good place now, I think, to do it, a place where I wouldn't have been in a few years ago. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a fascinating thing that you've just said there, that you realized you've been climbing the wrong mountain. Because I was going to ask you about that, because when something goes viral, for some people, you think that's the dream. I've had a thing go viral. But, I mean, what what was that like? I feel really guilty for saying it was brutally hard, uh, because a lot of people do chase the dream. And then... I was chasing the dream. I don't really, I didn't have an idea that I wanted to go viral. But in terms of, you know, being seen and pushing my little business, you know, that's the gold standard really, isn't it? And weirdly, it was one of those reels where I had no makeup on and I had two minutes to spare and I was arsing about in my shed. And it just kind of coincided with something that appeared in a magazine and it blew up from there. And it was exciting at first. Um... And the work I got from it was great, but the stress of it was absolutely crucifying. And I've got ADHD, which means I struggle emotionally. I struggle with overwhelm. I can't prioritize and organize uh, rationally sometimes. I I do those things for my business, but it takes a massive amount of work. Suddenly, every morning I get up and I look at my Instagram and there are thousands more views, which is great. But there are hundreds more messages and emails. And I'd gone from stitching for hours every day to spending virtually four hours a day doing emails and messages. And it was just, it was just massively overwhelming. And the amount of stress I went through was just appalling. And in the end, it kind of really took a physical toll. I think my viral, my reel went viral um, at the start of Feb last year. And 
uh, I remember losing my mind a little bit in the June because it's been just back to back emails, messages. Um, and when you're an artist, people ask, can I commission something? And that's great. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is the, the, the commissioning process can take a little bit of time. I want to know what people want, what their ideas are, what I can incorporate. And that all takes a lot of discussion. So when you wake up every morning and you've got, say, 100 emails all asking for a commission, and that's the process you do with all of them, and then perhaps only a small percentage will say, yes, go ahead, it adds up to a lot of admin and overwhelm for somebody whose brain is already overwhelmed. Um, I guess the, good, the silver lining was that being forced to do a year of back-to-back commissions, not forced, I mean, I said yes to those, that was partly climbing the wrong mountain too. I, it left zero space for any kind of artistic um, branching out. My own creativity. Yeah. It felt very much like uh, embroider by numbers for a year, and I found that quite hard. So, you know, if you can get if you want to go viral and you can cope with it, uh, the the work it the, comes off it, then go for it. That's great. But. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever chase going viral again. I just realised it wasn't for me, really. I want the engagement and I want to be seen, but I could have done with that level of attention spread out over a year rather than in the space of a couple of months. Because you did go quite hard on the reels for a while there, didn't you? Was it was yeah. it on Instagram reels or was it a TikTok yeah. that went viral? Instagram. Yeah. And I love doing them. Do you still do them now? Do you still feel it or is it you're quite nonchalant about it? I kind of, I do them less consistently. I, I think it depends. When I'm in a truly creative space and I've got the time to stitch and I'm creating that more and more, then I'm really in the mood to do reels. I love doing them. I, I find them as, as an extension of my creativity. I get so many questions from people asking me everything from how did you fall into stitching anatomy to how do you, I don't know, scrape the viscera off a pig skull? I get so many questions. There's always lots of things to chat about on reels. And because I've been doing them for so long now, I can do them quite quickly. So I really enjoy doing them still. Uh, and I'm not going to stop doing them. I think I'm going to be less fussy over them like I used to be. Again, the viral mm. reel was a case in point. I think it was the first reel I did where I looked like shit. I had no makeup. It took me two minutes and it just went berserk. So I'm more laid back about it and I'm better at them. So yeah, the extension of my creativity, I'm going to keep doing them, I think. I think fan. I find Hello. them really compelling. You're very charismatic, and I think that the, you don't, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that when you look at your work. Your work's beautiful, and we'll talk about that. Thank but you. there's there's so much more to it. You're like a total package. And then I think also the other thing that you you're quite fearless. Like if you spin back through your Insta to the start, you were doing lots of sweary things. You were doing lots of yeah, um, like dressmaking kind of things. Yeah, there was quite a lot of like attitude there. Yeah. And I think that fearlessness continues, but it's almost like you pivoted. And I feel like you, you've, you you know, lots of people have asked you about your Bell's palsy. You've been quite open about talking about your postnatal depression. Yeah. I feel like you, you've formed into quite a sort of a good advocate for those things. Oh, blame me. Hell, suppose I hope so. Um, I love to use, use the word fearless because I'm, I'm often shitting myself. But I, again, I've got that thing in my head where it's a fear that it's worth pushing through, you know, you kind of feel it and do it anyway. And with reels, I, uh, uh, when I started doing reels, somebody persuaded me to get on board and I was scared of showing my face because my bell's palsy. So again, I had to kind of face the monster there. I initially thought uh, Instagram would be like Twitter. I'd put a reel on and I'd get 2,000 people say, you ugly cow, get back in your mm. shed, don't show us your face again. That never happened once. And I guess I got braver as a result of that. Um, in terms of things like my PND and PTSD and my breakdown, I've always been open about my mental health. I've never seen the benefit of being quiet about it. I've always uh, improved health-wise when I've talked about it. Every time I mention it, I get a message from somebody saying, thank you for saying something. And in the end, that's who I am. If I kind of hit those things... I wouldn't be kind of fully out there. And I'm such an all or nothing kind of person. <laughs> if I'm kind of half out there, then it's just not enough. So, you know, I think when I look, having this conversation now, when I look back, life is very much a series of looking the monster in the face and doing it anyway. Mm. And uh, hoping nobody notices really, but when they do, it's great. <laughs> 
Does that make sense? Yeah, they do. And I think people love you. I think that's what's great. I think that, and I mean, sometimes I think there's there's something to do with like textile arts, you know, that inherently brings out a, a kindness in people. Um, yes. We understand that it's a soft thing. We understand it's a natural thing and it generally isn't a very cynical thing, even though you can like swear and you can do all of yeah. that. The, the process is slow. It's mindful. And so I think that automatically clicks people into a more conscientious mode of yeah. thinking. So then when you address some of the issues you address, people are in a good headspace in the first place. On Twitter, it's Wild West, you know what I mean? No one really gives a shit. You're right. On Twitter, they'll pivot from shouting at Trump for his policies to shouting at you because you used the wrong sort of stitch. But on Instagram, it's very different. I think I like to think when people go there and they're scrolling, they've already built up some sort of feed where they love textile art. And you're right about that softness. I used to stitch in... Uh, coffee shops and things i don't do that now um i haven't got the time really and every time i did it it would start a conversation with somebody about their grandmother and they'd mm. always start the conversation with warmth and love oh i remember my nana doing this and i'd sit with her and they'd start going down kind of memory lane and that's a conversation you're never really going to have with a stranger in any other way so i think you're right there is that kind of softness to it when people interact and i know there are political blow-ups in the world of textile art sometimes but I think generally people are all in that place where they want to appreciate the textile art and uh, they hopefully don't kind of, you know, drag you all over the internet calling you a cow. That's what I'm hoping. It'll happen to me soon, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Instead, they'll call you an award-winning anatomical illustrator. Oh, Let's talk about so talk about how, how you came to be. That's quite a long story, isn't it? Talk about it. Oh, oh, there was a bright light and somebody slapped me. <laughs> that was just morning. No, I mean, because you you started stitching relatively late, would you say? Yes, 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 yes. Um, I did a tiny bit of sewing at the end of my teens, and I dropped it to go to university. I became a journalist. Uh, I was a freelance journalist on broadsheets for years, and then uh, fifteen years ago, uh, I had my daughter. I had a massive breakdown. I had PND PTSD. Uh, I was absolutely, uh, batshit is the kind word for it. I was off my nut. And <laughs> I had to check in journalism. I just couldn't go back to that level of, you know, chaos and deadlines. And um, it was as I was kind of recovering from my breakdown, I got to a stage where I needed some kind of structure to my day and something to do. And for some reason, I thought about sewing. Got a cheap sewing machine and I kind of went from there, stitched some bits and bobs. And, you know, it's the old story. You stitch some, thing, some things, people like them, they say, will you make me one? You think, oh, this might be an idea for a shop, and off you go. So um, I did started doing that, I guess, about 10 years ago. Uh, I didn't embroider for a good few years after I'd started doing that stitching. It was all machine stitching. Um, and one of the outcomes of uh, the PND and the PTSD was my Bell's palsy, which got mm. a lot worse. So um, I had a series of surgeries on it, and one went really badly wrong. I mean, Jesus, the word necrotic was used for the inside of my really? head. Yeah, that was pretty grim. So I had to spend quite a while in hospital, uh, and I was really bored. And I asked my husband to bring in some threads and needle and some fabric. And I just started, like, fancying embroidery. And I didn't want to do anything floral, all the traditional things that I already knew about. But I did, I had seen a lot of images of the insides of um, heads and faces. And I knew street stitches just felt like muscle fibers. And I started kind of noodling. Mm. I questioned it all. Is this weird? Am I a freak? Who the hell stitches anatomy? But there was something that just kind of captivated me. And I kind of kept going. My um, facial surgeon saw the piece, the first piece I did. I showed him when I was halfway through it. And he got very excited, insisted he buy it off me. And it was like, oh. oh, I might be onto something. And off I went. So it's weird how, you know, mental ill health started me sewing. And then my bell's palsy started me doing embroidery. And I often wonder if they were ways of me coming to terms with my health and understanding my health. Embroidery is such a slow process. And it can be so meditative. And it can give you the space to sit and just digest the things that are happening to you. And I think mm. I found that really helpful at the start. And weirdly, now I'm doing these much bigger, more complex pieces, I'll often consider my own experiences, for example, of those organs while I'm stitching them. 
So, you know, breastfeeding when I was doing a breast and my endometriosis and childbirth doing the uterus and my own mental health when I'm doing a brain. They just give me the space to kind of think, really. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember how that answer started or what your question was. No, 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 no. That's, but no, but that is, yeah, that's the point. And I think it's fascinating. I mean, do you think that your decision to go down the anatomical route, particularly in relation to faces, did that help you adapt to the Bell's palsy? Because it's not something that's gone away. And so, you no. you know, we all have to go through our own ways of going, right, this is my new normal. Yeah, I think I think it has. That whole meditative process of stitching uh, initially really helped me kind of come to terms with the outcome of one of the, sur the surgery that went wrong. Uh, in the first instance, it stopped me being bored. In a greater place than that, it made me kind of understand what was happening. Just looking at the, an the anatomy helped me understand what was going on inside my head. Mm. And that's never really stopped. It's funny how the, the stitching has helped me in every step of the way. As I said earlier, even down to the reels. I knew I needed to do reels if I wanted people to see me, but I had to face my face, essentially, yeah, 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 before yeah. I did. Yeah. So it's always been, I guess, a very gentle way of making me look at these things, but in my own time, rather than being told I have to do them. I'm very, I'm very much a contrarian, and I like to do my own thing. So I guess these all allowed me the space and time to kind of come to all these places where I've worked through them, really. And then the beauty of your technique is that your your stitching doesn't have to be particularly complicated. I think you've said no. before you only use like three or four different types of stitches. Most oh, jeez, yeah. Sometimes I'd love to use more complex stitches, but I can't work out how they'd fit into anatomy. And it's really interesting. People often say, oh, my God, it must be so complicated. And it's not. It's... Uh, straight stitches split stitches and french knots and that's it essentially and i use lots of shades and you know the stitches can get quite complex in terms of sizes i do some stitches are single strands perhaps two millimeters long so it gets kind of into that granular detail but that's just because i love falling down rabbit holes but in terms of actually stitching you don't need a complex kind of bible of stitches in your head you can do the most basic stitch you've got and make something with it. And I think that's one of the joys of it, that you can come up with something so complex from something most people can do, especially anyone who loves stitching or textile art. You can thread a needle, you can do some muscle fibres, and then you just grow from there, really. Have you done any classes? Because obviously the techniques, you're, you're, you're heading into like silk shading territory with a specific yeah. like single stitch and all that kind of thing. Have you ever done any of those? Are you self-taught? No, I'm self-taught. I'm completely self-taught and I haven't done any. And I always, I've got a long to-do list of things I'd like to achieve. And on there are things like courses and classes. And I've never really found the headspace to uh, attack the, those goals properly. But now that I've kind of, you know, now that I see myself more as an artist and I'm giving myself way more time to create art, I'm hoping that will follow quite naturally. So that is the goal at some point. I don't even think it'll be this year, but it's something that's there on the horizon, tantalising and calling me. I'll get there, I think. I hope I will. So your year of doing all these commissions, it's, it feels almost a bit like when the Beatles went to Hamburg, you know, and they're grinding it for a year or whatever, and then they come back and they start doing their own. I went to the Beatles exhibition not that long ago, and the thing that always blows my mind about the Beatles is their entire run was seven and a half years. All of that, you know, it's, it's mind-melding because there's people that take that long between albums, you know, and their, yes. their creative throughput was ridiculous. They were blasting um, through the, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, and every six months, new album, tour, and all that kind of things. Um, the question I was going to ask is, now that you're affording yourself the time to explore your own creative path again, hmm. where's that going? Because you've ground out doing these things, doing eyeballs and... You know, yeah. the, the things and part of that has been necessity. So now you're like, yes. if the if the foot's off, where are you going with it? Um, penury, I expect, because the money's <laughs> kind of stopped coming in as well. But that's OK. I've, I'm kind of embracing that as much as I can. Um, I've got an idea to do an exhibition. Uh, seeing those words out loud is quite a big thing for me. Um, and the plans so far are still in a notebook. But I've got some concepts and some ideas and I'm working through them and fleshing them out. Got no idea where the exhibition would be, you know, what it would look like essentially, but I'm just 
I, I don't feel like I can, I can work out any of that until I've got a concept that I'm absolutely bang on about. So I've got several little ideas and I'm weaving them together. And that's a very new process. I'm, I often say on Instagram, I'm very kind of, I feel very isolated artistically. And I feel like I'm often reinventing the wheel. And I feel a little bit like that in the idea of creating an exhibition. It's like I'm starting from scratch. I've got nobody to ask. So I'm just feeling it all out. But it's nice to have the space to do that and the creative belief to think I can do that and to just keep taking those little steps towards it. So that's the goal for the next kind of couple of years, as well as doing, if anyone sends me an interesting commission, of course, I'll do it. But um, that's the goal. That's the big goal at the moment, an exhibition. Um, as an aside, you're not alone. So, you know, feel free to use me as a sounding board or whatever. Oh, I've, thank you, I've Jamie. curated a few bits and pieces. You know, there's there's some mechanics and stuff. But I think the, probably the big thing to uh, address is, yeah, what's the story you're going to tell with that exhibition? Yeah. I and, um, I know, I think, I suspect what I'm planning to cover uh, are some of the things we've mentioned. I mean, it'll be anatomical, but it'll be addressing... Uh, my PND, my PTSD, perhaps my Bell's palsy, stitching uh, in terms of health, how it impacts on that. Um, but it's, I suspect it's going to be quite dark as well because there's a lot of dark shit in there. So that's what I want to yeah. play with, really, is the dark and the light. I, I'd hate to have an exhibition that's just about, you know, the joys of stitching. I want it to reflect also the times I kind of stitched my way out of walking into a road. So I'm trying to kind of grapple mm. with all these ideas and make them in one coherent kind of form so um, it's quite interesting yourself. i'm quite enjoying the process at the moment yeah 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 no it sounds really cool it sounds like it's a naturally occurring evolution as well which i think is always quite a satisfying yeah. thing because these ideas yeah. do kind of creep up don't they and they sort of like wheedle their way to the yeah. front you've probably yeah. done a stitchery of how the mass of that happens or the science or whatever so um i was gonna ask you about your business if that's all yes. right in as much as because i think it's one thing to say you're an artist and every now and again you get that person who gets commissions for like a hundred thousand dollars a pop or whatever but for most of us it's imagine. a bit of a grind and i just wondered how your business is formed jesus grind because <laughs> i know grind it's something that you're word. not you don't love it uh, partly because of the ADHD, but then also, and this is a thing that none of us realizes suddenly, you, you know, I started doing cross stitch and now I do a magazine. So I have to be able to do marketing and I have to do accounts yes. and you have to do this. And you, do you know what I mean? So you have to do everything and no one ever tells you that really. So no, um, I've worked for myself for uh, 18, 19 years as a freelance journalist. I got, you know, I, I got used to, the amount of time it took to write a piece and all the ancillary stuff, the admin and the accounts and the pitching. So I've always known that when you work for yourself, you're not just doing 100% of the time the thing that you love. In terms of embroidering, that's become really difficult to manage. And I think because there is a level of marketing that wasn't involved as a freelance journalist, I didn't need an Instagram account or anything. I just needed to be known by editors. Mm. No, it's very different. You have to have, you have to be really good at marketing. I often wail to my poor, beleaguered husband. Most people get paid a full-time salary to do the level of marketing I'm trying to do. And, yeah. you know, then you get to the, the accounts, which uh, I'm lucky enough to hand to him because he's an accountant, bless him. But then there's the admin and the commissions and the emails. And that's been an ongoing battle. Uh, I think even last week I was in tears at one point because... Um, we updated my website. My website designer did all the website work. But the knock-on effect, going into the back end of all my social media platforms, changing the logos, the emails, the names, and because I'm ADHD, it takes me way longer. You could probably give the entire thing to a 15-year-old, and they'd do it in an hour. And it took me a week, <laughs> and I was in tears. So I always find that a real struggle. And that's one of the reasons I've kind of gone, uh, come over to, to see myself as an artist because I really wanted to put at the center of everything my creativity. Oftentimes in the past, I felt like um, an administrator who sometimes did art and I just knew that mm. had to change. So I'm learning to say no to things. Um, I'm trying to focus on specific things I want to achieve and then just say no to the stuff that's on the side. But when you work for yourself and you fall down a rabbit hole like I do in terms of you know embroidering as a giant rabbit hole, there are so many things I want to achieve. 
it's quite hard to put those on the back burner. My ADHD means I want to do everything right now. I find it really mm -hmm. hard to say, I'd like to achieve this. I'll look at it in six months' time. So my to-do list can be absolutely endless, and I think I have to cram that into every week. So it's all about, you know, logistically saying to others, no, I can't do that, and then saying to myself, okay, Jamesy, step the hell back. What's logical? What can you do? I'm kind of still negotiating all of that, but it's an ongoing struggle. And I think with my ADHD, because it's easy to get carried away, um, I kind of forget sometimes how bad the imbalance can be until I'm kind of in tears again. So I'm getting better, thank God. Mm -hmm. But it is a, a, a weekly battle to remind myself of what I want and uh, to kind of stick to that and not get swept away with all, like I say, all the ancillary stuff. This week's been a great week. I've stitched for a solid four days and I've loved it. So I'm trying to cling on to that feeling. <laughs> so when I do my to-do list later today for next week, I'll remember loads of stitching. Don't just become an admin assistant with a bit of art on the side. <laughs> do you batch things? Do you do things in batches? Oh, I try. Yeah, I, uh, Fridays <laughs> now are my admin days where I kind of, I save up all my emails to do at the end of the week so I can just focus on those. Um, there's, I used to try batch things like marketing and social media. And mm. I, that was just crap because um, I often, when I say I work emotionally, I don't mean erratically. If I get an idea for something that I think is going to go down really well, say on Instagram, I want to do it now. I don't want to put it in the diary to do in a month's time because the feeling will have gone yeah. and the enthusiasm will have gone. So I do try to batch things, but in creative terms, I just go with it when it happens because mm. you, you can't replicate that enthusiasm when you're a bit tired and you're not in the mood. And as you said, I think it kind of earlier about how I appear on Instagram. I mean, charismatic is a word you need to tell to my psychiatrist. You laugh at that. But I think <laughs> that, that, that enthusiasm comes across. You can tell when somebody's done something by rote because they have to. Yeah. And when they've done it, because mm. they're enjoying it. So I try and capture that feeling and, uh, so yeah, batching sometimes, other times just go with the flow. I'm going to give you uh, one of my best tool tips, if I may. Ooh. There's a tool called Text Expander. Uh, I think it's available yeah. on Mac. I'm a Windows guy and it's an app. And basically what it means is if you say the same thing in emails over and over again, you can turn them into like little short codes to expand things. So for instance, the list of questions, the intro that I sent to you, to make that happen, I typed colon NXHI and it expanded into all of that because I've taken the time to do it. Anytime I have to share a web link for the magazine, I've got a little code for that. And what you do is you make a little code of something you wouldn't normally type. So I put a colon. And if I put XS01, that's the link to the page that sells the first issue of my mag. If I put XXI01, it's a Dropbox link to my mag. If I type in TFYAE, cool. it expands to thank you for your email. Sorry if it's taken a long time to respond. So if you say the same things over and over again, yeah, you can get text expand. You can put it in, you can format it, and then you can just set these short codes up and it'll just save you time. Oh my God, time, I need that. Really yeah. Long. yeah. I need that. Just badly. look it up. I it's free to download. I don't think it costs very much. I'm just so just look it up words. because. Honestly, it, it is a bit of a game changer because there's so many things I say over and over again, and now I've just got them as little short codes and you just bang them out. And it can be really oh. quite complex stuff, you know, paragraphs, formatting, all of that sort of stuff. So, oh, God, that's my brilliant. To you. That's a top tip. Thank yeah. you. If I do ever win another award, I'll say you uh, help me by giving me the time to <laughs> stitch. I gave you an extra five minutes. Give you commission. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, what other makers do you admire? Who who do you look at and think, God, oh, they're good? Oh, Jester Walls is absolutely mm -hmm. at the top. Absolutely by a freaking mm -hmm. mile. I'm lucky enough to consider her a friend, but mm -hmm. I love her work. I mean, you know those artists when you're scrolling on Instagram and you stop and you pinch out because you want to see what they've done and how they've done it. She's one of those. Mm -hmm. And I always want to see how... You know, and a couple of times I said, how, how have you done this? And, how have you done and she's just so laid back about it all. And apart from the embroidery, she's so self-assured in her mm. work, in her belief in herself as an artist. It's just, you know, there, there are times, and I've told her this, and we laugh. 
There are times I'm stitching, I'm fucking something up, and I'm thinking, okay, what would Jess do? How would Jess tackle this? <laughs> and it just makes me kind of stop and think, okay, stop <laughs> panicking over the wrong stitches. Just fucking think about it. Um, let me think. There's somebody called Lucy Peacocks and Pinecones, who, again, when I see her work on Instagram, I stop and pinch it out. She's just the queen of stitching light on glass. She does glass decanters and glass bottles and glasses. And it's just fantastic. I could gaze at her work for hours. And while I'm stitching anatomy, I think, you know, how would she capture the light? Could I ever do that? I can't work out. It's like witchcraft. Uh, <laughs> Annie Newton, I love. She does gold work in these lovely organic lines. And that's another thing that always stops me in my tracks. And there's a medical illustrator called Peter M. Lawrence, whose work is just staggering. It's all digital, um, but the level of detail in the anatomy and the views, the anatomical views he creates, which I've not seen before, I suspect just because I'm an amateur uh, anatomy enthusiast, again, always stop me in my tracks. So they are the four who don't just stop me, but make me think about my own work and how I can push it and challenge it and get better. So, uh, yeah, I'd say they're my, they are my four big followers, really, all on Instagram. That would be, uh, that'd be a heck of a dinner party if you've got them all in the same room together. Oh, I would, I would tie them up and I would interrogate them all about how they do it and not <laughs> let them go until they told me. Because <laughs> this is the funny thing. So you've got, you've got your feet now in two camps. You've got your, your respectable 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 uh, embroidery artist um but you're also like in the medical illustration zone and that's like an entirely another realm isn't it it's a different discipline yeah. altogether really yeah it absolutely is and i find i love it i love as i said earlier i'm quite the contrarian so i love being somewhere so niche uh and i love being different equally it's quite a lonely place to be sometimes because it is so uh you know it, it's not very well populated uh, the awards I won last year were from the Institute of Medical Illustrators. Um, I'm an affiliate member there. And, you know, in terms of medical illustration, so much of that is now done. I say it's either photography or mm. it's digital. Uh, so in terms of textile art, that's very niche. And I'm very much aware that in terms of, you know, in, in embroidery, uh, what I do is very niche and it's a love-hate thing equally the, most of the time i love it i'd say 80 percent of the time i love that 20 percent of the time it feels a little bit lonely and i'm like oh shit where am i going but um I, i'm kind of working it out, out as i go along it was never the plan to do something in such a niche area it's just kind of grown and now that i'm here i'm there's no way i'm kind of turning around and leaving again so the only way is forward really see where it takes me because it strikes me as interesting because back in the day, the medical illustration was the, it was the way people understood bodies, right? They cut them open, they drew what they looked at. Now, I guess we've got all this hyper brilliant imaging technology, which has kind of taken the art away from it. And yet you're proactively pointing in the opposite direction. You're always going like ultra analog with this. So I'd imagine there's a lot of people who really appreciate that, right? I love that ultra analog. Oh my god, I hadn't thought of it like that, and I love it. Thank you. I'm happy being <laughs> analog. And um, it's really interesting that a lot of um, medical settings now use analog art to engage with patients. You know, there's mm. several hospitals locally I'd like to work with where they do uh, they routinely do exhibitions of art, um, not necessarily anatomical, but they put it in places where, you know, the patients are wandering around, they can see it, there's a bit of beauty, there's something interesting. Um, and I think, you know, anatomy absolutely has a place there. One of the things I love doing with anatomical art is, um, or anatomical embroidery, is taking an image most people would be horrified by and trying to make something beautiful with it. Um, and I've often found because it's embroidery, uh, people immediately kind of go towards it because they want to see the stitches and how it's mm, done. Mm, yeah. And the secondary thing, the secondary response is, oh, shit, it's a spleen. Oh, it's a bit of brain. So it kind of softens their interaction with the human body almost. And I love kind of harnessing that. I love playing with that and challenging people. You know, if I were to walk up to a random 
human being with one of the images from one of my dissection books. They'd probably, I don't know, throw up or hit me. But you stitch it and they start engaging with it. So I think there's absolutely room for that in terms of, you know, engaging with patients, perhaps in, in terms of understanding how the body works in order to give somebody a heart bypass. You really do need high-tech digital images. I absolutely get that. But medical professionals aren't the only people interacting with medicine. So it's about kind of going towards everyone else as well, really. Of course, my work is most often bought by medical professionals, which is lovely because they love the accuracy of it. But um, the medical world is quite big when you think of it. We all go to GPs. We all sit in waiting rooms. We mm. all look at notice boards while we're waiting. They've all got images on them. There's no reason why they need to be digital, you know, digital kind of flat images. They can be beautiful ones as well. So... That's what I'm trying to achieve, really, is that beauty why do you, in medicine thing. Why do you think we get grossed out by it? You know what? I think a lot of us are taught to be grossed out by it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I guess at some level, it's a primal thing. If you can see our intestines, you're probably going to die. So you don't want to see your intestines. And I absolutely get that. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. But um, I think we're often taught, uh, oftentimes when we're younger, the only time we see the inner workings of the human body is in a slasher film in the cinema. And that's because mm -hmm. there's a guy coming at you with a knife. So none of these situations are ones you actually want to be in, are they? They all signal death. And so it's easy to get to a place where you just want to see inside the human body. But there's just so much wonder inside the human body. And I... I understand why people get scared of it, but equally, I find it really weird to be scared of the thing. The, the, I, to be scared you of the are. reason why you're here, being scared. Yeah. If that sounds... You know, you're scared because you're alive. You're alive because your heart is beating, your kidneys are functioning, you took a shit this morning. That's all anatomy. So even if you're never going to go rooting through a body like I want to, at least kind of appreciate what it is. I know several people who are so scared of their bodies, they won't even go to the doctor when they're ill. And I've known a couple who've become almost, uh, one was terminal and one wasn't as a result. And that just makes me a, a bit like insane. I'm like, you just get to know mm. your body. So I think uh, it's about showing the body to people at a young age when it's not all about slasher films and death. It's about appreciating what it is, really. My yeah, my daughters have you know every now and again we might see a pigeon on the road that's been hit by a car or whatever, and they're just fascinated by it because they haven't had the conditioning to say it's a bit gross. Yes, that's exactly that. it. Uh, I think you're right. Do you find that your use of false colour then helps uh, get over those barriers as well because it doesn't quite look as icky? Yeah, I think it helps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, false colour is used traditionally in uh, medical illustration because otherwise everything is a greyish pink and you can't see the nerves from the vessel, blood vessels. Um, and I think that does help. That kind of softens it. It's not so, it's not as kind of gory, for want of a better term, as looking at an image of a dissected body. So I absolutely do think that helps. And I, I use a lot of false colour. Um, I'm trying to go towards using more realistic shades now. But even then, I think the fact that it's textile art and it's embroidered, you know, however much I want to try and make realistic textures and to capture light, it's never going to be the same, I suspect, as light actually bouncing off a liver in real life. So there's almost like that just little time to breathe between seeing it and knowing what it is. And I think that does kind of, um, I think that helps when people look at it. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, false colour is great. It's, um, it means you can kind of be that much more kind of creative in some ways. And in terms of medical illustration, false colour is very important. Do you have a favourite part of the body? Oh, it's got to be female anatomy. And I think that's cause, because so many of my experiences in life are because of my female anatomy. I mean, all the life-changing shit has been down to that. And I don't just mean in terms of periods... Uh, uh, I had endometriosis for, I think, uh, nearly 30 years before I accidentally got pregnant. Oh, my God. And that was all that sparked the PND and the PTSD. 
and then the breakdown, which was life-threatening. And it's that weird thing where my female anatomy has kind of conspired against me almost, <laughs> not just uh, medically, but in terms of how I live my life as a woman. You know, the sexual harassment on the streets or the fact I haven't been paid equally ever when I worked for anyone else. Um, these things, even, God, even when I go for a walk, you know, I walk in really quiet places because I enjoy it. And even then, there'll always be somebody to say, be careful, you're a woman on your own. So my female anatomy is central to everything I've done, whether I've liked it or not. And when I stitch it, I get to understand it better. And I love it even more. And it always makes me think about my own experiences. So it's just, it's wonderful to kind of get into the nitty gritty of all of that. One of the things, one of the commissions I did, I think it was the year before last, a woman asked me to stitch her, well, not stitch her cervix, stitch a cervix, because she'd had a cancer scare and she'd had to have hers removed. And she said, having a cervix on a hoop with the words, I miss you, would help her come to terms with the fact she no longer had her cervix. And she kind of summed it up, really. It's one of those things where I'd be stitching a breast and I'd be thinking about the, the times breastfeeding was great and the times I cried at 3am because I wanted to walk into a road. And it, as ever, it's that kind of healing process. So yeah, female anatomy is the short answer and that's why. Yeah, nice. Now I'm going to ask you, I did send you my questions before and there were three, what are your favourite things? So I think these are quite, it's just a completely left field direction for a minute. But I feel like it's worth it. So do you have a favourite film? Oh, Jaws. It's a cliche. I In fact, you've got the Blooming poster up behind you. I can see it there. Yeah, I've got a poster. I got. Uh, I can see three posters here on my wall. I've got a mug. I've got all sorts of bits of bobs. I've got a couple of t-shirts. I don't know what it is. Why that do you film. Love it? I got. Oh my word! I think it's it's human frailty, and it's looking back at this conversation. Perhaps it's oh shit! That's weird, isn't it? That thing of facing your fear. You're shitting yourself and you don't want to do it, but you know you've got to do it. And that's what happens in the film, isn't it, with the police chief. He does he eats water, he shits scared of the shark, he knows he has to get in the water and face the shark. And what I love is that he does that with human frailty. He doesn't do it in the Tom Cruise way where he kind of becomes this macho superhero as he's doing it. He's shitting himself until the bitter end and it works out well. And that's what I love about it. And of course, there's all the great acting and I know all the story behind the film. But that's essentially the joy of it. You, you never... You, I always feel disconnected. To, uh, sorry, I always feel connected to the chief because he always looks like a human. And uh, it's always stuck with me and it's always been one of my, my favourite film and whenever it's on TV... Uh, I'll always like, record it and stop and watch it. I just love that film. So I love that yeah. there's that thing, and I think it, it encapsulates what you were just saying. You know, there's that thing where Spielberg was the first person to do it, where he like, zooms in and pulls back at the same time, like that thing. Yeah. That's the exact moment you're talking about, where suddenly you're like, holy shit, Vroom, yeah. I've got to it's do like this shit. thing. Yeah. yeah, I can't avoid it anymore. And if I do, for some reason, I'll be a lesser person. Um. It's really weird. Uh, I started going to Ibiza on my own. Uh, I'm married and a daughter, but it's a long story. But I go clubbing on my own to Ibiza every year now. And uh, I shit my pants every time because I'm going on my own. <laughs> and I do it anyway because I know I'd be a better person. I'll have a great time. I'm doing what I want to do. I'll come back kind of, you know, emotionally richer and stronger. And I'm not suggesting I'm like a chili police chief chasing a shark but i guess you've made me think it's a similar thing where you look at the fear and you know you've got to run towards the fire rather than away from yeah. it and i guess that's why i kind of like that film my uh i used to be involved in the roller derby and the captain of our team always used to say there's no physiological difference between fear and excitement it's like the butterflies are the same it's just the way you look at them that's different so maybe yeah. you just get really freaking excited about ibiza yeah and that's the thing I am. I always do. And I'm always shitting myself, but I know it's worth pushing through it. And you're right, I think it's often about the way you frame it, isn't it? So, um, yeah. yeah, excitement rather than fear. I think it's a good way to get okay. through life, really. Favourite book? Oh, The Mosquito Coast by Paul Theroux. I freaking love mm -hmm. that book. Shit. I've got a copy that's ancient and it's held together by sticky tape and I would rather die than buy a new one. I just love the way it's held together now. Um, it's about a guy called Ali Fox, an inventor in the US. 
increasingly sick of living in the US. Um, you know, he, he thinks everyone's being kind of screwed over, essentially. Uh, and he's got this idea to build an ice machine. He goes to Central America with his family, literally to the middle of the jungle. You know, he buys a tiny plot of jungle land from somebody and they go and live there. And it just becomes this massive. It starts out like the dream. You know, you're creating your own little utopia and look, we can grow vines and all this magical stuff. And he eventually does to the jungle and the people who live there what America did to him. And it's just the most catastrophic ending. It's so frigging dark. It's just great. And there's a film, it was turned into a film with Harrison Ford as Ali Fox, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's great shit. And again, I think I just love the human frailty. And I love being reminded that sometimes it goes to shit. And that you can be so sure of what you believe that you can't see the shadows coming at you that actually worth looking at. It always makes me really kind of stop and think. So again, it's human frailty. Perhaps I'm perhaps I should have been a therapist rather than a stitcher. <laughs> <There's> a theme. <laughs> I think you are. Um, and that Paul Theroux, Louis Theroux's dad, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Justin yeah, yeah, Theroux yeah, yeah. is his cousin. Oh, and... right, so um, yeah, it's uh, I, I haven't, I don't get on with any other of his books, oddly, but that book is just like my frigging bible. I love it. And then uh, favorite album? Oh. Well, this is going to sound a bit weird. I haven't got one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, you well, know, I in the 80s, I just said something by Duran Duran. Right. Because I was um, going to ask you whether so... you, like, when you're stitching, whether you, do you stitch in silence? Do you listen to anything? Do you have any noise on the um, background or anything? Yeah, I listen. There's a couple of podcasts I listen to. Uh, but I, I'm really into house and trance. So I'll often, uh, I usually play house when I stitch because yeah. trance makes me want to get up and move and I can't, it's like having my freaking feet chain together. I can't cope with it. So I tend to put more kind of house on. So um, yeah, rather than an album, I, I kind of scavenge all the house and trance I can find and kind of have these long playlists really. But um, right. yeah, they, they keep me, I've got several playlists, you know, one for when I need to be cool and one for when I need to stitch and when I, when I want to move and one for when I'm doing my admin. So yeah, I'm a big scavenger, really, rather than one album. I guess there's one album, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, is the only oh. music my husband and I can possibly agree on. And um, <laughs> in the 80s, I just said things like Aha and Duran Duran, but yeah, the 80s was a long time ago now. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I um, Our caravan's <laughs> got a CD player. And so oh. recently I've been hunting down old copies and now that's what I call music compilations because you can get them for like 50p on CD. Oh my right god! You know what? That. I remember buying the first. No, that's what they call music. The first one. That's how With freaking the pig old on I the front cover. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. Now that's why I call music four is my personal favourite. I've got it on vinyl because it's got some real <laughs> classics like Dead and Alive and Duran Duran, uh, View oh. to a Kill. You know, that's, I'm right in the zone there. Also, <laughs> huh? Um, also, what was I going to say? Uh, so. On YouTube, there's a channel called Flavor Trip, and it's these two happy-go-lucky twenty-somethings who DJ like house music. But it's kind of sometimes it's soulful house, sometimes it's jazzy house, and they also do it in quite nice locations, and they cook at the same time. So that's oh, quite God, nice to listen to. The dream. Yeah, they bloody are so annoying. They haven't got kids, clearly. Um, and then also, I listen to uh, Mixcloud quite a lot, which is a good streaming platform where you can just select mixes by categories and you can kind of learn um you know one thing leads to another so you might start off with a certain genre like soulful house or something like that and and you'll find certain people djing certain things but i've i've got quite a selection now like um do you know wayne hemingway the red or dead designer he puts out mixes on there you know and sometimes it's northern soul and sometimes it's yacht rock or whatever but there's loads of people that are quite eclectic in their tastes love a bit of steely dan it's like one of the only cds in my car at the moment so (laughs) i find that quite a good one as well because again it's almost like having a radio station people will put out weekly shows but it's just mixes that sort of save you the kerfuffle of having to choose them or whatever so yeah i love that idea i've made a note of those i'm going to try them and i think that's the thing the way we listen to music now has changed so much you know, I noticed my daughter, she's 15, and she gets excited when there's a new Taylor Swift album or, you know, Metallica have got a new album, she gets excited. And I'm just not that person anymore because I'm kind of gathering bits from everywhere. 
I guess that's yeah. how we listen to music these days, really, isn't it? So I'm totally going to look at those. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, I find it, it sort of goes a little bit full circle as well because I've got a record player and have built up a little bit of a I've probably got like oh. 100 albums or something, nothing special. But at the same time, that makes you go the other way and makes you consider albums. So for me, like, I quite like, like, early elton john or a bit of cat stevens They're like the stuff oh. i want to listen to as an album is very different to the stuff i want to listen to when i'm working because yes. it's like trying to find those collections and again sometimes just a cheap compilation like and now that's what i call music you know because you can just dive through a bit of nostalgia in quick succession but something yeah. like rumors or i mean there's a few albums that we've got like do you know one of my favorite albums is all the best by paul mccartney which pretty much covers his greatest hits from leaving the beatles up until about like the mid 80s but it's got like rupert and the frog chorus but then he's also got loads of wings on it and stuff like that and i've listened to that day in day eight that album it's really sound oh i must say there's an album i've got talk talks greatest hits which i absolutely Mm -hmm. frigging love and that takes me right back to that time period and yeah it's like kind of it's like time traveling isn't it really um definitely there's there a more I, i'm going left field a little bit off off track a bit but uh, me and my daughter watched stranger things and uh there was mm-hmm. a moment in one of those eps where they played the first couple of bars of a journey song and jeez jamie i sobbed they didn't even get to the words. It like opened a portal in my head that took me right back thirty years to a place and a time. So yeah, it's great when you're not working and you're not you've got the chance to stop and kind of go down those little paths, I guess, isn't it? I think yeah, we all need more yeah. of that rather than just like picking at things. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, do you have any other crafty pursuits? Let me think. I'm yeah, I never You like a bit of gardening, really, but... I believe. Oh, I love gardening. Shit. I, God, I love gardening. Um, I was a really keen gardener until I got pregnant. And I kind of stopped after about being five months gone because I couldn't get into the borders properly. And then with the PTSD and PND, I kind of took the greenhouse down. I just couldn't do anything. Didn't go in the garden for about, ah, uh, God, 10 years. And um, in the last few years, I've kind of started going back in there again. And it's looking great at the moment. And I just love it. I just love it. It's... What I do every morning, I wander around the garden. It's what I do every evening. It's the last thing I see, essentially, apart from my loved ones. Um, and I'll usually go in there in between times, and I work in there every day. And um, I used to think that was just kind of hard, like like just cardio, like exercise. But it's not. It's so creative, and I spend so much time with seed catalogs and thinking, okay, what colour cornflower do I want? Would I put it next to this kind of plant or that? And I love the creative aspect and I love how absorbing it is as well. Um, and because we've got a relatively big garden, um, I'm one of, uh, my family call me like a beaver. I've always got bits of wood scavenged from skips. And when I go on my country walks, I come home with these branches I can't get in the car. I've got piles of those. So I'm always kind of getting the power tools out and making, you know, I, little things like bird boxes, um, mm. gates building arches and it's one of those nice things where because it's my garden it doesn't have to be perfect i'm not putting it on instagram particularly for anyone to see unless i love the way it looks i can just ask about with nails and screws and power tools and i love the process even if the end result looks a bit shit so i do a lot of that stuff and even if i'm not physically doing it i'm planning it it's like i've got this endless kind of creative thing going on in my head and it needs some sort of output or i feel like i'm going to go mm. with bananas so yeah i say power tools and gardening are the biggest creative pursuits really <laughs> uh, i think sometimes with gardening people don't always realize that you're in negotiation the whole time it's always it's a it's a battle isn't it it's a war going on oh, yeah. that you have to deal yeah. with and stuff but the rewards are totally exactly the times it's great and there's times you feel like you're being overwhelmed by shit but again that's the kind of the to and fro of it. it's like a conversation almost isn't it like I say, a war, yeah. a battle. <laughs> Question. So you do anatomical embroidery and you yes. love gardening. When are yes. you going to start doing the proper, proper botanical embroidery then? Like proper, proper dissections and all of that sort of stuff. Proper botanical embroidery? No, I don't think I ever will. Do you not? Because you said I at the start, you were of... just like, I wasn't really into flowers and all of that sort of stuff. But then I'm thinking no. there is a whole subgenre, isn't there, of like botanical illustration for the same kind of scientific purposes. I think I think it just doesn't grab me in the way that human anatomy does. I could stitch it and it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it doesn't make me jump out of bed in the morning in the way 
like a spleen will, for example. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it's not that I don't appreciate plants. I mean, you know, every day on Instagram at the moment, I'm putting something on about, look at this, it's opened in the garden. Look at the light on this petal. Mm. I love that. But there's just something, oh, God, oh, oh I get that. Oh, well, I put my teeth in it. You know, like a baby's chubby little legs, you want to go, oh, that's what anatomy <laughs> does. You just want to squish it. And I think. Love it. I love that feeling that much. Even if I like other things, they don't give me that feeling. So I'm kind of going with that oh, squishy feeling. Does that translate yeah, squishy? Yeah. No, I can dig it. Anybody who's had kids knows what you're on about there, of course. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> the little um, I got, I think, in a way, I think I've run out of questions now. That's me being brutally honest. Is I think we've covered no, pretty okay. much everything. I was going to say, um, where can people find you online? Uh, let me think. Uh, I've got to think this now because it's all a bit new. I'm at kathjanes.com online. That's my website. And on the social media platforms I am on, uh, let me think this one here. Yeah, I'm Kath Jane's Anatomy. And that's it. I've gone and then from... let's talk about your newsletter. Hot, ah, the hot off the hoop. Hot off Thank the hoop. Thank you, Jamie, for doing my job for me. You should have gone into marketing. <laughs> yeah, this is hot off the hoop. So if people go to kathjanes.com, uh, there's a little pop-up box there. They can go to Hot Off The Hoop. That's my monthly newsletter where I essentially spill my guts about what I do in the shed. I mean, I show a lot of stuff on Instagram, uh, but it's not. It's all, you know, pics and updates uh, and how I do things. But I really get into the filthy, grimy dirt of it in my newsletter. Uh, the actual artistic processes, and I'm very honest about it when I'm having a, when things are going really well and when things are going really, really shit. So, you know, over the last few months, my hot off the hoops, I've included everything from uh, I'm going to enter these awards. I'm really proud of this piece to I just cried for three weeks because I'm on the wrong form of HRT. So it's the whole thing. I've, I've become really sick of seeing these kind of glitzy, perfect images of makers at their beautiful lit tables with the sun streaming in and, you know, the perfect terrier sitting next to them on the rug. And I'm trying to say... It, that's lovely but for a lot of women a lot of makers men and women it's just not like that it can just be shit sometimes and i want to show people that just because i think it brings them in i think people identify more don't they I, I certainly identify more with artists when they're honest about how things are going for them i identify much less with people who've always got perfectly curated studios and you know where the, the scissors pot looks lovely but it also looks like it's never fucking used so um, it's where people go to kind of see right inside my brain. And luckily, people really like it. And we have a great conversation. It's a great community. I always ask lots of questions. Everyone gets back to me. We chat. I know what they are doing. They know what I'm doing. So it's like a little community, really. So sorry, that was a very long answer. to. No, I love it. I love it because I'm a big fan. I think, e I think email newsletters <laughs> are the best thing. I think they're better than <laughs> social. And I, I think I'm pretty sure I've subscribed to yours. If I haven't, I'm going to bloom and do it in a second. But I think I did. Yeah, if you I think when I saw it, I was just like, this is going to be a good one. I was like, of all the newsletters, <laughs> this one's going to be a corker. Um, <laughs> that's good. Is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about? Oh, my giddy aunt. Let me think. I think we've covered most things, really, haven't we? I've got yeah. nothing kind of burning except if you ever do see me do an exhibition, you know, come and visit. Share oh, it. Oh, Jesus Christ. It'll be amazing. Tell everyone honestly. that, you I know, think I'm you not need just to... a mad little woman in a shed. I think you need to have a word with someone like the Welcome Institute to get some sponsorship for that sort of thing. Because, you know, in the same yeah. way as it was controversial, yeah. but you know, the guy that like yeah. plasticized people and then would do dissect. Yeah. I can't remember that guy. But, you know, yours is it's akin to yeah, that. It's an opportunity that. for people to reconsider the way we're built and look at it in a way that it refreshes their perspective and i think that yes. any of your science organizations will appreciate well they are appreciating them already you know but i think i think your yeah. exhibition when it happens and when you work out and when it ends up being called a look inside cast and it turns <laughs> out it's, it's largely your anatomy but it's also your psychology or whatever i think it's going to be amazing so. yeah come look at my cervix it's lovely i think that's the thing now that i'm doing now that i'm focusing on being an artist i'll have the more time to kind of chase these things and start forging links 
we'll say the Wellcome Trust and other organisations where I can kind of display my work. Weirdly, up until now, my nose has been so close to the grindstone, I can never see to the horizon. So that's what mm. I'm finally doing, really, is looking at the horizon and, uh, you know, trying to run for something. So, um, yeah, and if everybody wants to sign up to Hot Off the Hoop, you know, they can see in my shed, they can see what I'm working on, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, and whether the HRT is working. I mean, I don't know what else could There will be links in want, all really. the show notes for all of that. Have no fear. <laughs> um, well, no, thank you for your time. I'm really glad to be at this tipping tipping point, turning point for you. Yeah, tipping point. Because I think now that you're out as an artist, um, I think it's exciting times. And, you know, it's been a pleasure watching you evolve over the years already. So Christ only knows what's going to happen next. Oh, Jamie, thank you. I mean, you know, a lot of people see me as like the embroidery version of Birkin hair when I'm dissecting things in my shed. So um, <laughs> I, I, I could do this next podcast from prison or something. We really don't know, do we? But it'll be interesting, whatever happens. Whatever <laughs> happens. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange, that's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange, with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash needle exchange. See you next time. Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time